beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. For the last few months, I have been thinking about, discussing, sharing, and cheering on all things friendship as I launched my latest book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. This has been a labor of love as I think friendship is deeply important and because I was obviously excited for The Life Council to be out in the world. I talked about the Life Council on podcasts and IG Lives. I had two Zoom book clubs on the book as part of my pre-order bonuses. And of course, I discussed the Life Council and its themes in the monthly book club discussion with my membership community that I call Secret Stuff. Now, I love the Secret Stuff community so much, and our twice-monthly Zoom gatherings are the absolute highlights of my work. This group is so smart and thoughtful and interesting, I never tire of hearing from them. For April, our book club pick was, of course, The Life Council, and we discussed it similarly to how we always discuss books in Secret Stuff's book club. So I host a discussion, and then members of Secret Stuff share their views and thoughts with the whole group. Today's episode is an excerpt from last month's meeting. You'll hear me and you'll hear members of our Secret Stuff community as we discuss friendship pain and trauma and our own experiences with the 10 Life Council seats. If you haven't had a chance to read the Life Council yet, I think you will still appreciate this discussion on the topic of friendship. If you've already read the Life Council and you've really wanted to discuss it with someone, this episode is for you. These kinds of discussions are a regular perk of Secret Stuff. One of the things that I love about this discussion is that you will be able to hear and see the kind of tight-knit community that exists within us. We're always open for new members, but there has been a really wonderful community that has built up around our Secret Stuff group. The members know each other. They feel comfortable sharing vulnerably in the group. I know these people, and they know me in a different way because we have spent hours on Zoom together discussing all sorts of things. If you are interested in joining us and being part of the magic that is Secret Stuff, go to lauratremaine.com slash secret stuff to learn more and to sign up today. And now, please enjoy this discussion of my new book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs, available now wherever you buy books. Here they come. This is the best part always. Look at your faces. Oh my God, I love seeing your faces. Hello, my friends. Why does it feel like we haven't done this in a while? We did this two weeks ago, but it's possible 
that this has been the longest month of my whole life. I mean, it's been a great month. And also two weeks ago feels like a lifetime ago. Yay, I'm so happy to see all of your faces. Welcome to tonight. <laughs> I'm so glad we're going to do book club about my book, which is a little bit weird, a little bit off. We'll talk about that in a second, about how it will be a little different from other book club meetings that we have here at Secret Stuff. I'm going to read where we all are from, where we are chiming in from. I am in my Los Angeles closet office. Colleen, where are you? I am in Wheaton, Illinois, just outside of the Chicago suburbs, one of the Chicago suburbs. Okay. We have friends here from Sarasota, Kansas City, Indiana, San Antonio, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Florida, Spokane, Washington, New Orleans, Snohomish. Is that how you say that? I don't want to say things wrong. Fredericksburg, Texas, but but actually chiming in from Pensacola, St. Paul, Minnesota, more Chicago, more Florida, Canada, Texas, Ohio, New Jersey, Santa Barbara, more Oklahoma. Waco, yay. I'm just trying to see because everyone is chiming in about book tour, which is big fun news. Houston, Texas, Colorado Springs, Northern Virginia, Kansas City, Missouri, Little Rock, Arkansas, more Minnesota, more Texas, more Oklahoma, Charlotte, which I'm trying to get to, uh, South Dakota, St. Louis. Okay. We are from all over as usual. So welcome, welcome. A few ways that this book club meeting is different from our normal book club meetings is that I wrote the book. (laughs) So I was thinking about this earlier, you know, how to lead a discussion about a book that you wrote is very different than how we are able to talk about the books that we gather here for every single month to chat about in which we like analyze the writing and the flow and all the things. We're going to skip all of that part. And we're really going to jump right into the content. You know, you've heard from me because I wrote the book. You've heard from me on the podcast. If you listen to that, I've been talking about this book and these concepts for months now. And so I really do want to hear from a lot of you in these different sort of sections of the book. And again, it's not that I don't love your feedback on, you know, my own writing or whatever, but really I want the book club discussion to be about friendship, about this topic, about what it brought up for you, about, you know, your past or or how this might apply to you or how you didn't think it applied, but it brought up some other idea for you, like all of that type of discussion around this concept of having a life council or just how we think about adult friendship that is so different from the friendship of our younger years. Childhood friendship feels different. Young adult friendship felt very different to me. And I know that we're a variety of ages here, but painting with a broad stroke, middle, middle life, you know, busy seasons with family, career, social obligations, a pandemic, all the things that make life complicated when we're in the very middle of it. And that friendship sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. This is One of the things that I've been talking about and thinking about for forever, because the work of friendship isn't something we talk about very much. We think it should come naturally to be a good friend or to make friends. We think that friends are an unending resource that are around us at all times. And therefore it's not something that we have to be very intentional about, like we are with dating or, you know, pursuing a career or parenthood or any of those things, because it just seems like we're swimming in a sea of friends, right? So shouldn't it just be that easy? And it's just not. And so for me, this book came out of some friendship struggles, some years of loneliness. And I, you know, applied this idea of a life council. I did not coin the phrase, the life council that came from my friend, Chris Ann, that I write about in the book. She gave me full permission to use it. And also I met Chris Ann on the internet. (laughs) And we all met on the internet. So it's like worth noting. Um, Why are y'all giving five stars in the chat? They're putting their ratings. You wouldn't let them, you wouldn't let them hold up five fingers. So they have taken to the chat to, to say your five stars. (laughs) Y'all don't make me cry right now. I'm trying to lead a conversation. 
<laughs> I was not going to have you hold up your finger. So I do appreciate that you did it on your own. Thank you. That's actually so, so kind. Thank you for reading it. You know what I will do? And if you're listening to this, you don't know what we're referencing. At the beginning of any book club meeting here in Secret Stuff, I ask us to hold up our fingers on what we ranked the book. You know, one, if it was terrible, five, if it was amazing. Since I skipped that step and y'all put it in for me, what I do want to know, which is um, adjacent to giving it a star rating, but I do want to know what format you read it in. So physically wave your hand at me if you read the hardcover version. Okay, some of us physically wave at me if you uh, did the paperback version. I don't have or hold it up, I suppose, if you have it. Okay, a couple of those will physically wave at me if you listen to it on audio. Is that most of us? Oh my gosh, so many people on audio. I'm kind of surprised surprised. by that. I am too. I mean, maybe not. Some Kindles are being held up. Who? Oh, yeah, I forgot that format. Hold up read the it Kindle. on Kindle. Just a, f- just a few. Audiobook was really the, the winner, winner, chicken dinner. I, I'm almost done speechless. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. Like, I, I knew that that would be a popular format because I'm a podcaster. People are used to my voice. But I don't know. Maybe I underestimated how many people would want to take it in that way. I also think that the book is short. So if you're listening to it, it's five hours or something. Even if you're reading it, it's only 200 pages. Not that 200 pages is anything to like sniff at. It's still 200 pages, but it's a brief book. And at first I felt like when I was writing it, you know, or editing it, I was like, should I fluff this out a bit? And then I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, why? You, we've all read books with fluff, right? And it feels like obvious fluff. And I was like, no. This is exactly what I want to say. These are the three sections, which I don't want this part of the conversation to focus on my writing process or anything. I am super happy to take questions about that if we want to talk about that at the end. But I, but just because we're on that topic for a second, I will say that when I pitched this book like to the publisher and when I sort of started putting the bones of it together, all I knew that I wanted to write was the actual life council members. Like I I knew the title already. And I knew that I wanted to write about types of friends, like the 10 different types of friends. I also knew coincidentally or not that I wanted to write about the empty chair. I wanted to write about friendship breakups and the um, devastation that that can bring. And that also isn't acknowledged culturally. So there were some things that I knew I wanted to write about that ended up being like the middle of the book. But when I first started writing, I was like, well, I don't know, like there's more to it than just these life council members. And I had these different things I wanted to say. I wanted to talk about making friends on the internet. And I wanted to talk about liking every selfie, which became a friendship philosophy. Like I had these sort of like what felt at the time disjointed things I wanted to talk about, but that weren't full sections or weren't full chapters. And so as it came together into what it ended up being, which was the beginning of the book, the first section that talks about the friendship reckoning of 2020 that I went through with a friend. And then I also share a little bit about my own history of friendship, which is where we're going to start together in a minute. And then um, went right into the friendship philosophies, sort of, it was a lot of setup before we got to the actual life council members. And then the third section was a little bit more nuts and bolts how to make friends in certain scenarios, how to deal with this. You know, I'm those were drawn from questions or topics that come to me on the internet or on the show or on social media. And I'm not an expert on them, but I had things I wanted to say in each one of those sections. So it became these sort of three sections of the book. And that's kind of how I want to approach our conversation today. I want to start with Uh, our personal friendship histories. Now we're not all going to give our own personal histories right here in this moment, (laughs) but I wanted to start with, you know, if anybody has words about how their childhood friendships affected what their adult friendships look like now. For me, I had this best friend in third grade that I loved so much. And I thought she was like the bee's knees And because I was in a small town, I knew this person. Her name's Lauren. She still lives in our hometown. I knew her 
you know, until we went to college and beyond actually. And then when I went to college, I was in a sorority, which is, you know, friends served up on a platter. I had also gone to summer camp. So I'd spent my summers with the same set of friends over and over again. So I didn't realize until I was in my early twenties and out of college and moved to Los Angeles, I had never really had to do the work of making friends and, you know, intentionally maintaining them. I had always been in spaces or circumstances where friends were available to me. We already had something in common and we saw each other regularly, like at class, on the sports team, in the sorority house, at the summer camp. I never had to put forth all this effort. And so it was a huge rude awakening for me to be like, oh, you have to like really make this happen. (laughs) You have to try for this. This isn't easy in adulthood where you're supposed to have all this freedom, right? Adulthood is supposed to spell like all this freedom. You can do whatever you want. But what that also feels like without like the structure of these organizations that we have when we're young, without that, you have to do it all yourself. And it's a really heavy lift because at any season in your life, but especially in your early twenties, maybe you're grappling with identity. Maybe you don't have very much money to spend on going out and doing friend things. You know, all these different parts of that time of life to add in. And it's also hard to make new friends. It's like, ah, it's like sort of insult to injury. And so that's sort of where I give in the book, um, not the very beginning, but, but towards the beginning, my own personal friendship history and sort of giving a trajectory. I would love to hear from you how whatever about your childhood, you know, maybe you had a really hard time making friends. Maybe you were bullied when you were young and it made you distrustful in adulthood. Uh, You know, your story could be very opposite of mine. Maybe you moved around a lot. And so you never felt tethered. My husband, Jeff is an army brat. And so he moved around a lot and his best friend when he was a kid was his brother. You know, they were 20 months apart and they were the ones who were moving around a lot. And so they had a really different brotherhood maybe than other brothers might because of that. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, dot com and use code you y-o-u hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I want to hear from you on uh, how your childhood friendships or early life friendship experiences colored where you are now. Rachel. When I was in kindergarten, the person who I'd considered my best friend decided that she no longer wanted to be my friend. And she told me, We were next door neighbors. Our families were friends. Our brothers were six months apart. We were three months apart. We were very close. She told me at school, I'm not going to be your friend at school anymore. Full stop. And I was like, okay. I mean, I'm a five-year-old at this point. It affected me so much that I am now at 38 in therapy, still working through this. 
I asked her if we could be friends outside of school because again, we're, you know, we're next door neighbors. She comes over to my house after school every day because her mom works and my mom doesn't. Uh, vacations were taken as, a, as, a, as families together. We were really inseparable. And so for the duration of that school, the years that I went to that school, I was bullied and picked on, not by her, but by the people that she had befriended who then forced her to like unfriend me. And I, to this day, live with a fear that I'm going to push people away. Okay, I didn't expect to get emotional. I actually got really emotional reading the book, because, especially The Empty Chair, because of this. But it was so cathartic. Uh, to the point where, like, when I bet Buddy read this book with two other people in who are here tonight, um, I got really emotional during that and discussing that. And reading through the book, looking back on that history, I have made so many of those friends, but because they're not physically in my hometown, no, in the town that I live in, I feel like I still fail at that. And I'm realizing after having read through the Life Council and, and saying, oh, I have a fellow obsessive. I have several fellow obsessives because I'm obsessed with several different things. I have people who are mentors. The, the one thing that I feel like I miss, and I don't always miss it, but because because I don't have that person that I've known for my entire life and still maintain communication with. I feel like I miss that, that um, long time friend, but I almost feel like I have permission to be like, just because I don't have that person who I've known since I was literally two years old, that doesn't mean I'm missing all of those. And so I loved, I was able to learn from that and, and, and recognize that, Oh, I'm, I'm not actually failing at this. I, have just like morphed it into my own version of it. And I would not have discovered that if it wasn't for the Life Council. And so I know I didn't give like a detailed friendship history just now, but I wanted to be like, that is the thing that really stuck out to me. And having gone through the years of, of just like stress and turmoil and difficulty to also recognize that, oh my gosh, I am actually doing this whole friendship thing, right? People actually still like me and they want to talk to me about books and Hanson and just being friends and moms and, you know, all the things. And I am so appreciative of having read that. And it was almost like a deep, fresh air breath thing. So Rachel, <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. That is a hard thing that you went through. That is a trauma that is not to be minimized. Of course, that is going to change the way that you walk in friendship and that you are going to live with a fear that a friend could at any moment be like, we are no longer friends for reasons that your innocent little five-year-old self could never comprehend because it was cruel. Children are cruel to one another. We have no concept when we're young that that's going to stay with us or that something that we do that's cruel is going to stay with someone else. Like it is a really difficult part of childhood friendships. And I just, I can see in your heart and the way that you're talking, like how much that has affected you. So thank you for sharing it with us. I think a lot of people will relate to that. I think a lot of us have these childhood scars that we don't want to admit we still have when we're in our thirties, because we should be past it or it wasn't quote unquote, as bad as like, you know, other sorts of tragedies or something. We try to talk ourselves out of what has really changed the shape of our heart when it is clear that that has for you. And so mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, that that has affected you in adulthood. Of course it has, but I love that you read the book and realized the abundance in your life. That has actually been my favorite feedback of people reading the book is that they went in maybe skeptical of the 10 friends idea, or they went in feeling like they were going to feel shame or sad or lonely or something. And what it did was made them realize, oh no, actually, I think I have more people in my life and have over the course of my life than I even knew. That's my favorite mm -hmm. feedback, truly my favorite. So the fact that we started with that and that you said that is really beautiful and amazing. So thank you so much for thank that. Thank you. I really appreciated it. <laughs> Hannah. Y'all, I got to meet Hannah. So fun. So fun. 
she can't, can I just say, and then I will, I'll let you speak. (laughs) She came to the bookstore signing on her way to the airport. She had a red eye flight. I mean, who does that? I would be frantically packing, packing. She came. (laughs) It was amazing. Okay. Sorry. Say what you want to say. I love that. (laughs) It was awesome. Okay. I'm going to summarize because I can relate to that story, Rachel, an eerie amount. The story I was going to share is that it was my best friend who was also my next door neighbor. We became friends probably around like when I was like about four because my mom bought the house after my parents got divorced and then we became next door neighbors and we were best friends until fifth grade. But there was like a changing dynamic because she was like a competitive cheerleader. This was the 2000s, you know, cheerleading was like the thing. I guess it kind of- Everyone pause for a second that Hannah was a literal child in the early 2000s. Okay, move on. I was indeed, but I think this experience aged me a little bit. (laughs) So then she was like a cheerleader and she was also really thin and fit, which was like the- you know, social pressure at the time of like the ideal body type and all of that stuff. So she was really popular and I was kind of like not really fitting in with her It like at school, not at home. It's fine. So like similar. So literally she's been my best friend since I was four. I go to, I sleep over her house on a Friday. We have so much fun. And I came to school on Monday and she was literally not like my bully. It was literally like from overnight going from my best friend to my bully. But for like weeks, she and all her other friends, she had a lot and she had a lot of influence, would bully me. I spent a lot and a lot of time processing that, which I even got a even though even though I have spent a lot of time processing it, I still got emotional listening to you, Rachel, because I could like feel like that same experience almost. Thank God I finally made good like healthy friends like at the end of fifth grade and I ended up staying friends with them for like the mainly the rest of school barring typical high school drama anyways I'm anxiously attached and it's no wonder because it really does shape you it's true what y'all are describing is not just friendship breakups which happen or friendship fades which happen what y'all are describing is betrayal And betrayal leaves scars. It's not just regular friendship conflicts, agree to disagree, all of these different things that are relational. Feeling like at any moment that a friend is going to abandon you or set other bullies up to torture you, which happened in in both of your instances, that is, you know, I, I just want to use like, call it what it is. It's cruelty. It's betrayal. It's scarring. That's different from quote unquote, sort of normal friendship conflict. And so hard enough as it is, you know, well, it's just going to affect, you know, I framed this part of the conversation up with, it's going to affect your future friendships because of course it is, but it also affects your future romantic relationships because you also put that same fear into, oh, I care about someone. Are they also going to drop me like a hot potato for reasons I'll never understand? I mean, that would make anybody anxious. So it it translates to romantic partners. It translates to job security. It translates to just how you feel about your place in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why all of this matters, this friendship conversation. Okay. All right, Michelle. So the theme of my friendship story is I was an anxious child. (laughs) So I relate a lot, Laura, to your story as a child. I didn't grow up in a small town, but my elementary school that I went to, it was a very tight, small elementary school. So everybody that we went to school with lived a block or two away. We all spent nights, you know, big groups of girls spending nights together, um, overnights at each other's houses, easy way to make friends growing up. We were very tight. Then in middle school, so I went to school with these kids from kindergarten to sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, we moved (laughs) across town to a, a new school. All of my friends from elementary school then went to this other school and I had to make new friends. 
So I sort of was like, you know, bottom of the barrel, not knowing anybody. So in middle school, I sort of leaned heavy on church friends and tried to make uh, relationships there (laughs) and was pretty successful there. But I also, I'm oldest of four girls. Um, I have no brothers, all sisters. And I really, in middle school, started leaning really heavy on my sisters to be my best friends. And I have one sister who is two years younger than me, and her and I still to this day are tight. And my other sisters, too, are were really tight as well. So because of leaning on my sister so much, it was hard for me to make friends outside of my home life and then my church community, too. But I was quiet and shy and over analytical about, will people like me? Do people like me? I just, so it was really hard to make friends because I was always thinking, well, they don't really like me. They, this or that, they're just trying to be nice or just thinking too much about how to be friends. So that is carried over into adulthood. I always kind of just had to jump from group to group because I never felt secure in the groups that I was joining, thinking that I wasn't really being liked. It's very, very ridiculous. Now as a 40-year-old going, people will like you. Like you just be yourself. And, you know, as you come into yourself in your 40s, you learn how to do better. But something, and I can't remember where I heard this, and maybe somebody will remember because I'm sure it was on either a podcast or something. But, you know, someone said that when you walk into a room, instead of walking into the room and thinking, oh, is anybody going to like me in this room? Am I going to make any friends? You walk into a room and you say, I wonder who's interesting here that I could get to know or that, you know, would be interesting enough for me to talk to. So I have really progressed onto that. And now when I walk into a room, instead of thinking like, oh my gosh, is there anybody here who's going to want to talk to me? I go, I wonder who is interesting enough that would carry a conversation out with me or things like that. So Um, It's funny that you mentioned the anxiety piece because I've written extensively and talked extensively about my childhood anxiety and how it was the worst. The worst parts of my anxiety of my life thus far were after children and when I was a child myself. And I'm not going to deep dive on all the factors that went into that, but I will say that my childhood anxiety did not come out amongst my friendships. In fact, my friendships were one of the places that I felt really safe and I felt like most myself. Now that doesn't mean that I haven't had insecurities over the years or I haven't had, you know, missteps or I haven't done the anxiety mental loop of replaying something over and over in my head that I said wrong or, you know, awkward interactions or things like that. That part comes along with it. But because I have had good friends most of my life, they have been a balm to my anxiety instead of a trigger for my anxiety. I'm not saying all that as like a humble brag. (laughs) I'm just, I'm saying it as like an interesting note to the mental health piece that, you know, if that's, if that's a constant thing of is, is someone going to like me? Am I going to, you know, say something weird, whatever. If that's part of the thing that really gives people a lot of social anxiety For me, it has been one of my safe places. The other thing I wanted to mention about you saying about your sisters is that I've had multiple friends in my life who, or or acquaintances, even if they weren't friends, people I have known that they always had sisters or cousins or some kind of family relationship that was like, you know, it was like a wall that could not be breached by the rest of us, right? Like they had each other and therefore they didn't have a need for friends. And I was always sort of jealous of that. I do have a sister, but she's 10 years older. So it was definitely a different uh, relationship, especially when we were younger. And I always wondered if people who are on the inside of that with sisters or cousins or, or that type of family relationship that took up those friendship spaces for them, if they felt like, yeah, like they felt like lucky, like they had someone they could link arms with no matter what. And the rest of us were just trying to forge it on our own. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I will say, you know, I did feel really lucky. And I had a lot of friends who told me like, you are so lucky to have sisters. I wish I had a sister that I had a relationship with like that. And, you know, growing up, this is a whole nother therapy session, but we, we had as sisters really, we sort of took it for granted with, with always having each other. You did take it for granted that oh, well, we always have each other. 
and yeah. missed out probably on a lot of other friendships. But you're right, it was a wall that I think a lot of people wanted to break through. And we sort of didn't allow that sometimes only because we knew we were safe with each other. And you as an outsider, it took a lot. <laughs> it took a lot for us to, to bring somebody in because it was you talk about your password keepers, your souls, all of those things. That's what we were for each other and still are. Yeah. Okay. Let's Jerry Lynn be the last one on this topic. Cause we still have to get to friendship philosophies and actual life council members, of course. Okay. Jerry Lynn. So in talking about friendships growing up, we moved a lot. I wasn't an army brat, but we moved a lot as a kid. And so I found that whenever I would move, I tended to be friends I wasn't a tomboy, but I tended to make friends with the boys because the girls were already super clicky and I went to three different high schools. Um, so I don't have like that long term friend, but when we moved from the town that I had lived in, in South Dakota, the longest time, um, and we had moved to Massachusetts, we came back on, on break and this was the eighties and I'm, I'm probably one of the older ones here. So we didn't have, you know, internet, we didn't have cell phones. We had none of that stuff. So we relied on letters. And so I went back and my friend who had been telling me like, oh, this is what's going on with so-and-so. And I surprised them and came back and it was all lies. Like the boy that I was had been dating that was staying loyal to me and everything. He was dating somebody else. And so that kind of broke my heart. So when we moved again in high school, I really tried to keep my circle small. And then I realized that when I had children, so I had four kids in five years, but I have three sons and one daughter that I had a really hard time coaching and being there for my daughter for her friendship challenges, because I had just kind of circled the wagons and avoided all, all of that stuff because girls were in cliques and I just wasn't welcoming. I was made fun of for my accent or how I dressed or whatever, because, you know, moving from South Dakota to New England is just a very different thing. So when she had challenges in high school, I was not equipped to help her. And so I kind of felt that that was a a shortcoming on my part, but she got through it. She had three brothers. So she figured out and she, she kind of took care of it like a guy herself, but childhood friendships really do mold how you function later on in life. Well, I'm glad you actually brought up the generational difference because that is not a small thing. That is a very real thing. If anyone got to listen to the secret tapes conversation that I recorded with my best friends from high school, who are still some of my best friends in the world, there's four of us, three girls and a guy. And we talked a, a lot about being high school friends in the nineties was totally different from what high schoolers lives look like now. For lots of reasons, but the biggest, most glaring one, of course, is the absence of smartphones or tech in general. And that our time together when we were younger was truly quality time together. I mean, there were video games and stuff like that, but that's not how most people spent time. Like your time with your friends looked so different than what time with friends looks like now. And that's not even bringing in the pitfalls of social media and, and online bullying and all of that. It's just literally what time looks like when you're spending it together is so different now. So that generational thing, it does matter. I think there was less FOMO before all of that. Of course, you didn't, if you were gone away for the summer, you didn't even know what you were missing. So you got home, <laughs> exactly. right? Or, I mean, maybe you heard in letters or something, but it just was a, such a different, it was such a different thing. And so the the scars or the emotions or even the good things of what we, of what, the pre-cell phone generation brings to the table in this conversation, it is going to be different from younger people talking about this. And one of the things that has come up a lot in my DMs since the book has come out has been people wanting this idea to be the book itself, the Life Council concept to be tailored specifically, like, could there be a teen version or something? Now, I I do not at this moment feel qualified to write that exact book, but I do understand the need to talk about it a little bit differently with younger people than the way I wrote it to, you know, women of a certain age, maybe, you know, uh, because, and, and the reason that it keeps coming up, I feel like in my DMs is because I feel like people are saying that teenagers now have so much to navigate and if someone had given them the permission, you know, I've always said that I wrote this book that I needed. The Life Council was the book that I needed. 
But if someone had given me permission when I was a teenager, let alone in these smartphone days of that you can let friends sort of live in their seat and that's okay. If it would have changed, like changed your perspective on collecting friends or, or clicks or friendship fades or all of these different things, because you don't know how to hold on to that when you're young, because you just don't know, you know, I would give this book to a teenager. I don't think you need to write a separate one. I mean, there's, there's going to be time situations as far as like you said, cell phones and all that. But I think learning about the fact, the value of the different kinds of friendship, I think your book would be fine for a teenager. So tell, tell them I said, go ahead and give it to them. Well, I did kind of say that. I was like, well, can they not, does it not work at all? I mean, I get, maybe it's not hip. Maybe, maybe the language needs a little bit to be textified. I don't know. But I was like, well, it's not. I mean, I think the book's a little bit evergreen. I don't know. Maybe I have no perspective. Now, last but not least, not really, not last, but the friendship, the life council. I'm going to read the 10 seats and I'm going to include the empty chair, which brings the total to 11. If anyone wants to speak about, I'm not going to go through them one by one because I said my piece on them. <laughs> I want to hear from y'all. Again, same as with friendship philosophies. I want to hear which friend stood out to you. I want to hear which seats you feel like are empty, not, not empty chair, empty, but like maybe that you think, oh gosh, I've never had that before. Um, maybe I do want that, or I've never thought of that before, or would, would it be helpful to have a daily duty friend or a mentor or a password protector, any of those things. So I'm going to read all 10 friends, actually 11, when you count the empty chair, there's the daily duty friend, the old friend, the business bestie, the fellow obsessive, the battle buddy, the yes friend, the mentor, the password protector, the new friend, the soul sister, and the empty chair. So tell me which of these struck a chord with you because of the abundance you feel, the gratitude you feel, or the lack, or just you found, found it to be interesting. Oh, lots of hands for this. Okay. Lots of hands. Karen. So of course, so many words, so many different types of friends, but the one that comes to mind, the one that just feels so good is the soul sister and a deep relationship um, of someone I've known for 20-ish years. So an old friend too, but really in the last like three years, it's soul sister friendship. And, you know, it's the, when life is too hard, we send silly Instagram reels of beavers playing in the water because they're cute. Or today she just showed up on my step with flowers, a balloon, chocolate, diet Coke for a hug. Wow. Because that's what I needed. And she's like, I don't need to stay. We'll hang out later. But be like, she was physically on my doorstep. And it's just, that is, and I cried immediately when I saw her there, right? Because I felt seen, like she knew what I needed and we do the same for each other, but there's just something so like at a deep, at that cellular level of being seen mm -hmm. and just how good it feels. Like I'll go sit at her house and it's like, well, I can sit at my house with my soda in my sweatpants, or I can sit at your house and we can do the exact same thing. Um, and just living in the midst of life, but we can be together. And at the same time, when things are crazy, we know that, you know what, they will just send those Bob's Burgers GIFs and the Beaver Reels. And that's what we need right now. You are so lucky. You are so lucky to have that friend. And that is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing her with us. Yeah. Mandy. Mandy's going to be my new friend because we live by each other. So just wait. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, Colleen and I are going to be new friends. I already told her she's going to fill that seat for me. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
I was actually like, I wrote out the, the, all the different friends before I started reading the book and I had so much anxiety. So I was like, I don't think, I don't think I have, what if I don't have anybody? Like, what if I have open spots? And it was so refreshing, like reading the different pieces. But I think for me, I feel really lucky that two of my good friends who I consider daily duty because literally they're like a pinned text for an iPhone user, you know, you can like, <laughs> like and it is um, like, I know my friend's travel schedule, like she flies out to DC every Monday and back on Thursday, like all those things. And the three of us actually had to break off from a group of five mm. because of just some friendship reckonings that went south or went as we had expected. And I put in the chat earlier that a couple chapters in, I was like, okay, I'm doing a thing. I'm going to buy the book for people who fill the seat. And I'm going to write in the margins like a total weirdo. <laughs> and I bought copies of the um, the poem too that was in you know the, the beginning of the book. And I gave it to them last Saturday. I had them like come over to my house after all of us were at way too many sports for all of our kids, and just had you know opened it up. And my one friend, she's like, "Ooh, I know who the empty chair is," and that was sort of the friend mm. that we had this fail <laughs> reckoning with. But it was we've been this book came out at like such a perfect time and just all the lead up to it, because we were in this, the thick of realizing of, Oh, this friend who was such a core piece of this five has, we realized it's like, Oh wait, maybe we didn't know her as well as we thought we did. It's helped me teach my 10 year old daughter about just like, Sometimes it's hard, but you have to acknowledge when someone's like, I've said to her, when someone's a crap friend and you have to just put space and distance. So yeah, my daily duty slash battle buddies have, we're on this journey and they were like, they're like, did she write this book about us? Like what's happening? <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of, and I realized too, like I thought at first when I was reading the book that like people can only have one seat and that's it. But quickly realized that people can have multiple seats. And I liked what you said, Laura, at the very beginning, acknowledging people who have a lifetime appointment, because at the end of it, kind of realizing some of the people I bought books for, I was like, you have a seat on this council, but also like, I don't care what you do, like you're, we're in this for life. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was, that's kind of Wow. That's a, that's like a lot happening in one friend group. It's like the whole book in one friend group. <laughs> we got it going on in the Western <laughs> suburbs of Chicago. We got a lot of going <laughs> Um, I also love a few people have sent me like pictures over DM or whatever, not secret stuffers, like other people, I feel like who have sent me that they also bought the book for people that they had on their life council. Not all 10, there's no pressure for any of this, but just one, you know, someone that it makes it an easy way to say, this is what you mean to me. For people who have a hard time sort of expressing that in any other way, I love that people give the book to someone and say, you're on my life council. I want it to become a shorthand like that, like a, a phrase that we can use and be universally understood. Okay, who's right. next? Beth. I love this book so much. It was just awesome. But the, the friendship, the council seat that really resonated with me was the battle buddy. And I think because it was a, the group of friends that I assigned it to was, um, I didn't really think of them as friends necessarily. Like they're my coworkers. I'm a nurse. We go through the same thing together. Like other people in my life cannot relate at all to what we go through in our work, but especially during COVID I mean, they're like the only people I saw for yeah. like a year. So, but it's like such a special group because it's like, even after COVID, it's just everything that you do, nobody can get the jokes. Nobody can get the like, Oh my gosh, the day we had. So I guess it's just really made me think like these really truly are my friends. They are my battle buddies. And it's just so, so cool. Absolutely. Nurses are battle buddies. You have been through something together, something traumatic, something that required an enormous amount of strength. And even if for whatever reason, they might not be the 
person you would like invite to your birthday dinner or something like that. (laughs) They are the people that you see every day. And like you said, they, no one else can understand not only the intricacies of that job, but the, in the last few years, especially like the emotions and everything that is tied to that. You can, you can tell me what that's like, and I can try to imagine it, but really only your fellow nurses really get it. And that is absolutely a battle buddy for sure. I hope that you tell them that they're your battle buddies. I do. In fact, we all just like a group of us went to karaoke last night and I was like, oh my gosh, I love these people. (laughs) A few years ago, I would have been like, oh no, I don't want to go to that work thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it is just really awesome just to see how people's, they can change in their lives or you kind of change and who's important to you changes. So very cool. Yeah. I love that. You see them differently. Maybe I love it. That's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Yeah, oh, thank, thank you. you for that. D. Yeah. I was going to say that uh, the daily duty friend really struck me. That is, and I'd say a definitely empty spot on my life council and for a long time has been. And I really long for that. I long for someone that can just walk in my front door and like, you know, I can text all day long and I just don't really have that. And I think I've longed for it, but I don't quite know how to audition for it. I feel like I've, I feel like I've left room for it, but maybe I haven't, maybe I've been a little too closed off. Maybe, you know, there I've had some years where I've just been so busy, stretched so thin, and maybe I wasn't open to that. That's kind of what I'm thinking about now with my friends is like, how, how can I find that person either among who I have already or someone new I haven't met yet? That was such a lack in my life for a long time too. And I, I did have some daily duty friends that were online. Like I had some internet friends that we literally chatted every day, but I did not have daily duty friends in Los Angeles. I mean, obviously I write about it until I turned 40. I thought they would materialize when I had babies. Everyone told me, oh, when you have kids, then you'll make a million mom friends. That was not true for me. Although I also write about that. I wish I could go back into those years and sort of appreciated what I did have. Moms at the park, friends. I was constantly disappointed that it wasn't deeper or that we weren't having a big connection. And if I could go back to those years, I would have been like, well, we're here at the park. Let's just have a beautiful day. <laughs> like I would have held it looser instead of being constantly sort of disappointed or sad about it. That's my own reframing as I've changed my perspective on friendships, but I didn't have the type of daily duty friend that I write about, or that I think a lot of us want, or maybe even expect in some ways until I was literally 40. And now that I do, I, I, I don't take it for granted because I had all those years where I didn't, right? So now that I do have a daily duty friend, let me just brag on my daily duty friend for a second, Julie, who I write about in the book. She has come to both of my LA events. She was at the bookstore event and she just took a million pictures. And like, I didn't ask her to do that, but she just like, you know, made sure my dress wasn't weird and took pictures, did all these things. Then I had sort of a private event for just friends over the weekend. And she, I wasn't eating, you know, how like, not that mm-hmm. I'm a bride, but you know, like the bride yeah. doesn't eat at their own reception. Yep. And Julie just kept hoarding little parts of food for me to try and make me eat. And she knew what, what to hoard. She knows what I like to eat and also that I wasn't eating. And what a way to show love. Like, I just was like, this is what she's just like living out her daily dutiness before us all, you know? And, but again, I'm 44. I'm not. I'm not 44, you guys. I'm 43. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to be 44. And this friendship is, you know, on the newer side still, and she's a daily duty. So I'm just saying that it maybe just shows up when you're kind of least expecting it, or you can't, you can't plan for daily duty. Our kids now go to different schools. Our lives are starting to diverge a little bit. And while we will always be deep, deep friends, because she's also a soul sister to me, we probably won't, she probably won't remain in the daily duty seat. And when I look back, I'll be like, remember those few years when Julie was my daily duty friend? And I, but I'll be able to look back and feel happiness and gratitude instead of looking back and being like, I'm so bummed that Julie's no longer my daily duty friend. 
because I've sort of set it up to be like, well, Julie's now my soul sister because because our daily lives look different than they did when the kids were 12. Anyway, that was a lot of rambling about me when I really wanted to acknowledge, D, what <laughs> you said about you. Thanks, Laura. Kristen. I loved this book so much. And what I, and so rather than like singling out a life council member, just like a general comment about the life council, I don't know as it was in the book. It's been a minute since I've read it, but it might've been on the secret tapes, but it is so freeing to think about friendship in a way where I don't have to show up as a whole person with every friend. I, that was like a light bulb breakthrough moment. I'm 52 years old. I've been doing friendship a long time. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I realized with some of my friends, I was almost lessening the friendship because I felt like, well, I can't get deep with them and I can't share my vulnerabilities. So, you know, it's like, it's not as significant of a friendship. It was like, I was trying to make everybody fit in the same mold in my life. And it might've been a secret tape, but where you said something like, you don't have to be a whole person. This is just that role that they fill. Mm -hmm. It was like the angel saying, I thought, oh my gosh, this is freeing me up so much. And it's going to make my friendship so much better. So I'm loving like kind of putting people in these different categories and thinking of them in these different ways. So thank you for this. Well, that's so kind. I say, I think I said it in the book and I for sure said it also in the secret tapes in terms of my mastermind. I don't have to show up with those women as a whole person. And that seems like that would be a negative, but it's actually a real positive. So in my, you know, many of my other friendships, when you're catching up with someone or whatever, they're like, how's Jeff? How's the kids? How, you know, they're asking about sort of the whole personness of me and wanting to sort of get a bigger picture of me. My mastermind, they have never asked about my kids in their life. <laughs> and it's not because they don't care about my kids or don't care about me. Although I think Jamie Golden might've even said, I do not care about your kids. And in a loving way, I am so happy to show up and just talk about work because being a whole person sometimes is really hard, especially when hard things are going on. So just a few years ago, when there was a lot of stuff happening in my personal life that was really hard, it was an absolute paradise to me to show up and talk about Instagram strategy. Like I, I don't want to have to bring my pain to that conversation. I want to escape it for a little bit, but also still feel a deep connection. I feel an enormously deep connection with those women. And and also, I don't want to have to like get, make it too personal sometimes. Now we've been in relationship for a long time. And so that particular friendship has, it's almost sort of become a joke because we have become whole people to each other. But the point still stands that for many years, I was like, I just want to talk about my newsletter. I don't even want to tell you guys. I wouldn't even tell them what was going on in my life unless I absolutely had to, because it was interfering with my work or it was interfering with my ability to be a friend to them. But otherwise, I was not a whole person with them for many years, and I liked it that way. And then the other thing that you said, Kristen, about maybe not elevating certain friendships because you think, well, I can't really go deep with them, so they're not that good a friend. Like, I can't possibly be that good of friends with someone who doesn't know my, like, traumas. When you can say, no, we are good friends, it's just in a really specific area or, like, we're just really fun and it doesn't have to be deep and not dismiss it or not put it in this category of we're not that good of friends. That's dismissive of a relationship that maybe brings you like a ton of joy. <laughs> like you'd rather talk to your shallow friends sometimes, you know, right? And so make like it, it elevates it, right? And it sort of makes you be like, oh, I absolutely love you. I don't have to dismiss you. Dismiss is a harsh word, but you know what I mean? I don't have to relegate you to well, we'll never be that close category. I can, in fact, honor what it is and like love it. I love that so much. Thank you. Natalie. So when I was listening to the secret tapes and you were talking to Amber, battle buddy, it's like, I don't, I can't think of anybody that would fill that role or some people would maybe fill multiple roles. So I came home and I was reading the book. I finished, I filled categories for friends and who fit where. 
And then I realized I do have a battle buddy. I have long COVID and pre-COVID, I was the type of person who could do a hundred things in a day going 50 miles an hour and super task oriented. And I'm not that same person, which is really hard. Mm. But then I realized a friend of mine um, was diagnosed with um, an autoimmune disease about six years ago, and she was the same person pre-autoimmune disease. So it was so nice to be able to share. I came out of COVID, and I know a lot of people did for different reasons, but I came out totally changed. I mean, I'm still dealing with it. And it it's changed so much even with my friendships and what I can do. I was always the organizer but I don't have the energy to do that. So being able to walk with somebody when your life drastically changes for whatever reason it is that you can have somebody who understands when you feel left out or you're super discouraged because you can't do something is such a gift. Yeah. And so my battle buddy is more a health battle buddy. Natalie, I'm so sorry because that is so difficult and I feel like mm-hmm. very, very misunderstood. And to have a friend that is it's similar, you know, a similar enough struggle. I am sorry that you have to have a battle buddy, but I am glad you have one. And I feel that way about a lot of the battle buddies. And, you know, as I lay out in the book, battle can be serious or, or light, but I feel that way for all of our battle buddies of like, I'm sorry that we have to have them, but thank goodness we have them, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That actually gave me total chills. Thank you. Hannah. Okay. I wanted to talk about fellow obsessive. Um, You and everyone else, Hannah, the fellow obsessive comes up a lot. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, (laughs) So um, as I've disclosed in these Zooms prior, I am a fangirl. What I'm a fangirl of at the moment changes, but I'm like a perpetual perpetual fangirl. And it, it really sucks when you can't talk to someone about something that you're really obsessed with. And when people make you feel weird when you try to talk to them about it, it really sucks. And I think that is like kind of captures what's cool about internet friends because if you don't have, if you're having like a very bad friendship season in life, like you can find a fellow obsessive, mm-hmm. like you can find one. I can, I promise you, you can find one. I'm just a, such a big nerd about so many things and I would nerd out by myself, but it's so much more fun to nerd out with somebody else. And I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so true. Like, and so important. It really makes you feel seen, but also have fun. So I love the fellow obsessive. A lot of people want to talk about the fellow obsessive, like when I'm doing podcast interviews and stuff, because I think that a little bit like we've already discussed, like that particular role in our life can be someone that is diminished because they're only an internet friend or because you only talk to them about this one thing and you don't have any other deep conversations. You're not inviting one another to get together. You just really need to deep dive on the thing. But what a fun part of life that can be. It's really fun to be a fan or to be super into something. And like, why do we make that less important because we aren't like boohooing or something because we're just like nerding out? You know, my fellow obsessive in the book is Jamie Golden. And sometimes I think, I cannot believe how many hours we have talked about this thing. (laughs) And I feel like tempted to like apologize. Like, I'm so sorry I've taken up all your time talking about this thing on Voxer or whatever. But she's just as obsessed as I am with the thing. And our friendship spans a lot of, of life council seats, actually. But for uh, for that one, for that role that you're discussing, like, why do we think that fun isn't valuable? Because when we're little, when we're kids, like, just to bring this full circle, when we're kids, that's how we pick our friends. It's like, we have fun with them, you know, on the playground or whatever. And then somehow it just like gets more serious and you have to have this other criteria and like whatever. And if we just want to like circle back to, okay, but also fun. Remember that you guys (laughs) remember how fun fun is. And like, as you may remember when you brought this up at the LA uh, book signing event, someone like made a joke. They went like (laughs) Pedro Pascal. 
which is also one of my current obsessions. And like, I was just talking to literally like earlier today, I was just talking to my therapist about how everything's okay because I have something to look forward to, which is my roommate is taking me as her guest to a Q and A with Pedro Pascal next Friday. And I'm like, if I didn't have anyone to talk to about that, that would suck. Like my work and school is really hard and I don't want to think about it all the time. So yeah. Yeah. And if you feel like you don't have an obsession, which I do think is, is another piece of this is some people are like, well, I don't really have anything I'm obsessed with. Like I go to school or work, I come home, I eat, I do my family. I watch a TV show. I go to bed. Like that's a, like kind of a lot of what middle life can look like is just sort of a little bit on this hamster wheel that we can all get on sometimes. And you feel like, well, I don't really have anything I'm obsessed with right now. Well, y'all find yourself something to be obsessed with. Just find it. Find a band, a show, a podcast, an actor, you know, it it doesn't even matter. A piece of celebrity gossip, like whatever it is, find it. And it can be short-lived, but these things that spark in us, we have to notice like, oh, this brings a spark for me to talk about it. And maybe it'll change in two weeks, but I'm just going to roll with it right now. Hannah, I feel like you're a model for that. I think I might be. (laughs) Connie, is your hand up? Yeah, it is. I just wanted to say one last thing. Like, I feel like this discussion has been amazing and we have had a lot of really amazing discussions in this group, but I really feel like this has been one of the best and we've just all been so vulnerable. And I really just feel like so much more connected even to these people in here that I've never really met, you know? And so anyway, thank you for this book because it was just really really amazing. I loved it so much. And I'm really thankful to have read it and to have talked about it with all y'all. That's so nice. What a perfect way to end. I do feel connected to secret stuffers truly, especially those who I get to see your faces in this meeting. It's absolutely a connection through a screen that cannot be denied. Okay. Amazing. Thank you friends. Bye. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.